Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly brand building and brand strategy podcast to help you unlock your brand's potential, stand out from the competition, and create impact. Today we're joined by Alexandra Watkins, founder, chief innovation officer, and brand name badass of Eat My Words, a wildly creative boutique naming firm known for creating names that generate buzz and revenue. Alexandra is also author of the top 10 marketing book and one of my favorites, Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names that Stick. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Alexandra. It'd be good to learn a little bit more about yourself, what you do, and eat my words. Okay. Hi, Chris. Nice to be on your show. So I run a naming firm called Eat My Words, and a lot of people have never heard of this as an occupation, but we name things. So we name products and companies and services for clients from everyone from Amazon, Google, Twitter, Xerox, so lots of big brands, but you know, small brands as well. And I have been doing this for, I've had my firm for over 15 years and started out as a copywriter in advertising and I love naming. Every once in a while, I would get thrown a bone and get to name something and then made the transition over to branding and got into naming and have never looked back. Cool. Yeah. So what is it that you love most about helping individuals and businesses to develop a a sticky brand name? Well, I love that the name is, you know, everybody that's starting a business or naming a product, everything hinges on the name. They're just waiting for the name. So it's really exciting to help them kind of birth their baby. And it's so cool to like look back now, like 15 years later and see brands that I named that are still around and, you know, they're all grown up now. And it's just exciting to be, you know, part of such a monumental piece of somebody's business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I bet sort of getting in on that journey at the beginning must be awesome to kind of take that process and start it all off. So yeah, what are some of the most common brand naming fails that you see? Well, the biggest one is people really want to have a domain, an exact match domain name, which they don't need to have. So they make the mistake of sacrificing letters, you know, doing weird spellings just to get a domain when all you need to do is add a modifier word and you can get a good name. So for instance, you know, Tesla for the first 13 years was teslamotors.com or Facebook until 2005 was the Facebook. Um, Square is at square up. So a lot of people, they start at the wrong place. They start at GoDaddy or any domain registrar looking for an available domain when what they should be doing is starting to come up with conceptual names and then look for your domain name. It's really hard for people to believe this, but we don't even look for domain names until the very, 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 very end. So it's just not part of what we do. And if the client insists on that's what they have to have, we won't work with them. No naming firm will. They, we all know that it's ridiculous to think that you're going to get a domain name that people can spell and pronounce and understand that's you know not already taken. I think when I um, listen to your books, I love audio books, I listen to your book multiple times, but the one you mentioned in the book was about the peanut butter company and how they oh, were their yeah. domain name. That was really clever, really good. And like you said, it, it didn't have to be the exact domain to match the company. It was cleverly done and actually added to the brand. Yeah, that was, it's the company is called Peanut Butter and Co. And they have the domain name Peanut Butter and Co. 
But the domain name that they use is ilovepeanutbutter.com because for anybody that loves peanut butter, that's my peanut butter. I love peanut butter so much, I can't even tell you. Like that name makes such a strong emotional connection and it's really easy to remember and it makes people smile. So they could use their regular domain name as their domain name, but why would they? Because, you know, peanut butter and co, it doesn't make anyone smile, but I love peanut butter. People love. I want an email address, Alexandra at ilovepeanutbutter.com. That would make me so happy. Yeah, they would definitely. probably give me one if I asked. They gave me an apron <laughs> at the fancy food show. They gave me an apron. So they know they're in my book. They're, they're big fans. I do. Yeah, it's the same with Eat My Words. I think Eat My Words is such a great name because it gives you that smile, you know, and all the things that you've got with your brand and the names you've got and the different things you have on the website and how you put it together is it gives you that smile. There's a bit of recognition there that adds to memorability, you know, and it creates that emotional connection that you talk about as well. And, and it helps to, yeah, just solidify that idea, you know, in your mind. It's, yeah, really well done. Thank you. Yeah, people like things that are familiar, you know, and eat my words, that's a familiar phrase. I just kind of put a twist on what it means in my business. We started out naming things that make people fat and drunk, which is why <laughs> what I always say about eat my words. But yeah, I and you know, do you have Wendy's over there, the fast food chain? No, but we are aware of them, especially with their uh, their Twitter uh the social media. Right, right, right. Amazing. Yeah, that's they're amazing. notorious for their social media. So their most famous item is called the Baconator. And I named the Baconator back when I was freelancing. I named it for another firm, Strategic Name Development. But that name is one that I forget where I was going with that. But anyway, it's an awesome name. Makes people smile. Definitely. I mean, if, if you're going to have something, why not have the Baconator? It just makes sense. You know, it's um, uh, so what, what's the story behind the book? How did my name is awesome? Well, I didn't want to write a book. I never wanted to write a book. My parents uh, were authors and I knew it's a lot of work to write a book. So uh, one day I got an email from a publisher that that had seen my website, eatmywords.com, which is a lot of fun. And they said, have you thought about writing a book? We'd love to publish one or two with you. And uh, you know, your website is so humorous and not something that's sorely lacking in a business book. So I wrote back, you know, thank you, but I don't want to write a book. And they were very persistent. So I, you know, went in, luckily it was walking distance from my house to go to this publisher, which was amazing. So yeah, I went over there and met them and talked to some of their authors and realized this is really a first class publishing company and I should probably write a book. So I did. So, and I'm really glad that I did because the book opened so many doors for me and it also forced me to really, you have to, you know, when you teach something, you have to really know what you're teaching. So it really forced me to be better at what I do because I had to be able to teach it to people. So yeah, the book, it's had two editions and I don't know, do you have the first edition and the second edition or just the- Just the first edition, I think I've- Oh yeah, yeah, you've got to get, see if you can get the audio for the second edition. It's so much bigger. It's uh, 50% more material, new stories, hilarious. Narrator is so much more fun than I, than I am and the first one as well. So yeah, the book has been really, really great. And pretty much every client that comes to us has read my book and then just wants to work with us. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air. That's the way I think about the book with regards to a lot of audio books I listen to, like you said, typical business books that can just be monotonous and they don't really engage you, but the book engages you in a way that not only do you learn from it, 
but it's humorous, it's funny, it takes you on a ride and a bit of a journey. And the way that you do the case studies, I really like those and how you've presented them. And uh, yeah, it's a really great book. Really love it. Oh, thank you. If you like my book, you're going to love my new online course, which is like my book on steroids in Technicolor. I don't know if I gave you access to it, but I'll, I'll make sure you get free access so you can check it out. It's a blast. Cool. It's a lot of fun. I love color and uh, my book, you know, there's no pictures in it. It's very, you know, one dimensional. And my course is like full on, you know, it's like lots of eye candy and, you know, the same humor is in my book, but more. Plus, you know, you can hear my real voice. It was so much fun to do and there's real lessons. So that was something that I'm really proud of. I'm proud of the book. Obviously, it's done really well, but I'm really proud of my course because it took me a year to put it together and it was far more difficult than writing a book. Wow, thanks. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll put a link as well in the show notes for anyone listening that wants Thank to check you. it out because, yeah, Thank that'd be awesome. Thank you. So in your book, you give some great examples of uh, sort of brand name fails, uh, one of which sort of really stuck in my mind and it's a ridiculously difficult name of a uh, baby clothing company. So could you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So this is was an organic baby clothing company. If you can imagine such a thing. I didn't know there's organic clothing in San Francisco. And the name was Species. And it was spelled S-P-E-E-S-E-E-S. And they said on their website that the reason it was called Species is because that's how babies would spell species if babies could spell which is ridiculous. I mean, seriously. And you know, that's a great example of somebody making an excuse for a really bad name. You know, I think that obviously wasn't what they thought of in the beginning. Like, oh, what? let's name our company something spelled a way a baby would spell it. You know, they're backpedaling there. And anytime you have to make an excuse for your name, like they did with, well, that's how babies would spell it. Um, anytime you make an excuse for your name, you're essentially apologizing for it. And that devalues your brand. Yeah. When you said that in the book, when you read it out in the book, the name of the brand, it completely just it hurt my head trying to work out how that makes sense. And uh, yeah, there was a few times of that in the book where you talked about brand name fails and how they, when you read them out, I just couldn't get my head around it. And it's not until you sort of break them down, you really realize that the way that you spell and the way that you say the name and how people are going to talk about it is massive. I mean, Species fails your smile and scratch name evaluation test. So could you tell us about the test and share some examples of good and bad names? Sure. So I have a test, a 12-point name evaluation test called the smile and scratch test. And it's based on my philosophy that a name should make you smile instead of scratch your head. Smile is an acronym for the five qualities that make a name great. And scratch is an acronym for when to scratch it off the list because it makes you scratch your head. So a smile, the five qualities that make a name great. The first one, the S stands for suggestive. And that means your name suggests something about what your brand is or does or suggest a positive brand experience. Um, one of my favorite suggestive names is Amazon because to me, it suggests massive, a word that I love how you say massive, much more interesting than how I say it. But it's uh, you know enormous, right? And I've been to the Amazon River and I know it's, it's huge. So that's a name that's suggestive, right? So metaphorical names are often suggestive. So, and those are my favorite type of names. So 
that's the S. The M in smile stands for memorable. And memorable means that your name is based in the familiar. So we talked about like eat my words is something familiar. If your name is something so foreign to people, it's going to be harder for them to remember because studies show that people remember things that they already have associations with. So that's why metaphorical names work really well. Like Amazon, we all know what Amazon is. You know, whether you're thinking of Amazonian woman or the Amazon River, it's familiar to us, right? Whereas a name that was just completely made up, you know, some made up word like, well, BCs is, don't get me started. So that's um, M and smile. The I stands for imagery. If people can picture something in their head when they hear your name, it will help them remember it later, going back again to Amazon. The L in smile stands for legs. And legs means that your name lends itself to a theme. Uh, Eat my words. Our theme is food and beverage. So for instance, our blog is called The Kitchen Sink. We have packages like supermarket special and just the meat. So we have a lot of fun with that. So if your name lends itself to a theme, it really helps you. Then the E in smile stands for emotional. And we talked about that a little bit. If your name can make an emotional connection and resonate with your audience, it's going to help them remember it later. And it's also just going to make them smile, hopefully. You know, that's all about smile. And smile doesn't mean necessarily make people laugh. It just means that they get it. Everybody, you know, when you get something, you're like, oh, I get it. Like you feel smart. People want to feel clued in, not clueless. So uh, one that I love is GPS for dogs that we name Retriever. And like you're smiling, I'm looking at you and you're smiling already before I even say the name because I know you know it. Yeah, Retriever, like you get it. And you're like, oh, I get it. And so GPS for dogs that helps you find your dog. So that's what I mean by making an emotional connection. Yeah, there's a phrase that, that we use over here. I don't know if it's the same over where you are, but when the penny drops. And when you were saying it then, it, the idea of the penny dropping is like uh, you drop it into the money box and it kind of makes that noise, that ding sound. Oh, so yeah. penny drops. And when I saw the Retriever brand, when I saw that and how you'd renamed it, and it just, the, the penny drops, that moment, that aha moment is that moment when everything clicks. And that's what you remember. That's you remembering it, I think. It's that bit where it just sinks in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to talk about Scratch? Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, so Scratch, again, is one to scratch it off the list because it makes you scratch your head. These are all deal breakers. You don't want your name to have any of these. It's kind of like what happens with people in their names is people make excuses, right? In the beginning or like, well, people won't notice that. Or like, it's kind of like when you start dating someone and in the beginning, either you're kind of blind to the issues or you're just willing to ignore them, right? So we all know that. So think of your name like that. And we all know what it's like to be in a relationship. And then down the road, you're like, oh, you know, like I should have seen this or I should have listened to my friends when they told me, but I didn't because I was just so in love. So don't fall in love too quickly with your name. So these, again, they're all deal breakers. So the S and smile and scratch stands for spelling challenge. We talked about that with species. It's truly the number one thing people do wrong with their name is they spell it. Anytime you have to spell your name for people, again, you're apologizing for it. Gosh, I've seen so many bad ones lately. Oh my gosh, this company reached out to me because they need a new name. It's financial services. We just don't do anything in tech or financial services. It's too hard. But the name is 
capital, but it's spelled with a Q. Wow. I know. And it's like, wait, where's the Q? So it's Q U capital Q A P I T A L. How do you say that? Capital? Capital? <laughs> it's capital. Like, that's a horrible name. And I know they came to us because they want to change it. It's terrible. Yeah, definitely. There was the one as well. You reminded me then of in the book, the yogurt, the Greek yogurt before Chobani, the one before oh, it was. Oh, Faye? Yeah. And the way that yeah. was spelled as well, because that was a head scratcher. Yeah, it's F A G E, which, yeah, people don't know how to pronounce that, at least here. And, you know, people do know how to pronounce things in their native countries. But when things go global, you might want to reconsider changing your name if it's going to be awkward for people. So anyway, I got off on a tangent there, but so S and scratch is spelling challenge. The first C is copycat. You don't want your name to sound like a competitor's name. Stay away from really common words uh, like, you know, QuickBooks is a really popular accounting software. And the copycat name of that is FreshBooks, right? It's like, You know, you see a name like that and the first thought is like, oh, they copied QuickBooks. Like you don't want that to be somebody's first thought of your name is, oh, they copied so-and-so. You want them to think like, oh, what an original name. The A in Scratch stands for annoying and that could be spelling your name backward, you know, using numbers in your name. So instead of having, like I saw one, it's called live forever, but the four, forever, F-O-R, is spelled with a number four. So they're always going to have to spell it, live forever with a four. When you say that, you someone has to stop and think, where does the four go? Live forever with a number four. Like if you think of your own name, Chris Outlaw, your name's so easy. Like your name, and plus you've got that great last name. It's easy for people to remember because like they can imagine an outlaw Suppose if you were a woman and your name was Chris, I could see people misspelling it with a K. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen to you very often. But most people have difficult names for people to spell. First name, last name, street name. There's certain streets I would never live on because the name, I would just could imagine myself having to spell Narragansett, you know, (laughs) like, oh my gosh, I live on Venice Street, like Venice, Italy. And like, when I say Venice, Italy, people can picture it in their head. So think of that, like all the times you've had to explain to somebody how to spell or pronounce something. And just think about that with your own brand name. You don't want to have something that's problematic like that. Then the T in scratch stands for tame. You don't want a name that's tame. Because you need to stand out. And if your name is tame, you are just going to fade into the background. So you can't afford to be shy. You have to really be bold. The R in scratch stands for restrictive. And that will look at Amazon. So Amazon's not restrictive, right? Amazon can come out with any product and it fits under that umbrella name. Whereas if Jeff Bezos had named Amazon Book Barn, that would have been a restrictive name. Then going fast forwarding to that S-C-R-A-T team, the second C stands for curse of knowledge. And that's where insiders know what the name means. Maybe your engineers know what it means, but nobody else does. That happens all the time, especially in tech companies or where it's like an insider thing to you, but you forget it's meaningless to your audience. Um, Cursive knowledge names are just think of foreign, right? Anything that's foreign, foreign words, right? 
we forget that not everybody knows Swahili. So there's a company called Mazinga, and it's spelled M-Z-I-N-G-A. And Mazinga means hive in Swahili, but like who would know that? And again, lots of explaining needed to be done and apologizing for that name. And then the H, the H in Scratch is for hard to pronounce. And we talked a little bit about that. And yeah, you want to make sure that people know how to pronounce your name and that your name can only be pronounced one way. Here's an example. A lot of people use domain name. They're called uh, CCTLDs, country code top level domains. And those are the domain names that aren't .com, .net, .biz. They're the ones like .io, .ai, .ly. And those can be really problematic. First of all, most people aren't used to them. And are, when you spell your domain name, they would be like, if you're like, you know, about.me and they would say about.me.com, like they're expecting the .com. So that's a problem. But another big problem is with pronunciation. So there's a company I saw, their domain is card.io. And I don't know if the company has pronounced cardio card.io or if it's just card and the .io is silent and they just used it to get a domain name. So you only want your company to be pronounced one way because like Chris, if you were telling me about this really cool app named Cardio, but somebody else was telling me about this really cool company called card.io and someone else was telling me about an app named Card, I would have no idea that was the same company. So you dilute your brand when your company can be pronounced more than one way and you confuse people. So that's the Smile and Scratch test. If you want to run your name through the Smile and Scratch test, if you go to Eat My Words, hopefully we can put this in the show notes. We have the test, an interactive test on our website. You just on the homepage, scroll down to, I think it says, does your name suck? Oh, how strong is your brand name? Test it. So yeah, you can just type in your name and then you just answer 12 questions about it. and. Along the way, you'll learn what you're doing right and possibly what you're doing wrong. Yeah, I've gone through that test. And like you said, you need colors and stuff. It's very colorful. And the actual the dashboard I like as well, the kind of dial oh, you've got on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. There was, there was one as well that popped up when you were talking then that you said in the book about it was inbox backwards. Oh, yeah, Zobni. Just Zobni, the worst yeah. name ever. Yeah, X-O-B-N-I. It was originally pronounced Zobni, but then Bill Gates pronounced it Zobni. So they changed the pronunciation of it because that's how Bill Gates pronounced it. But yeah, when people see XOBNI, and this is an annoying name on the so many scratch violations, um, but yeah, it's annoying. People don't spell things backwards. Like you just, even if I said, Chris, spell your name backwards right now, you would have to really think about how to spell it backwards. People just don't do that. You know, if your name was Bob, it would be easy, right? You have to stop and think. And you don't want people to have and stop to think too hard. You know, you want to have them think for a second, like with Retriever. You don't ever want anyone to look at your name and be baffled or think, you know, look at it like they're trying to like decipher hieroglyphics. Yeah, you got you put me on the spot there for a second. I thought, oh, wow, what is my name backwards? I was trying to work it out quickly. It's, it's yeah. hard. I can't do it. Yeah, I've been doing these brain exercises and writing letters at 90 degree, 180 degrees, like different angles. It's hard. It's just not something we're used to doing. So yeah, don't make your name difficult. Make I always say your name should be like 
a welcome mat, not like a do not enter sign. Yeah, and the retriever is really good because you think about if you're having a conversation with somebody and someone happens to mention to you, you, you already know the brand retriever and someone says, oh, let's tell you what, my dog is, you know, constantly getting out the back garden gate and we have to go chasing over town to try and find her or whatever. The first thing that's going to come to your head is you need retriever and it's there because it's, you know, you want to retrieve that dog. There's the thing for it, you know, so it makes sense and it's there to in that Rolodex in your mind, you know, just to pull out. Yeah. So when it comes to defining, developing and building brands, one of the points in the smile part of the test that kind of struck a chord with some of the brands that we've worked with recently is a need for legs. So do you see a lot of brands that pass sort of other points of the test only to realize they haven't considered the future or how their brand can grow? Yeah. So having legs like we do with our theme of food and beverage, it's definitely something really beneficial that most people don't think about when they are naming their brand. And it's hard to do it later if you haven't thought about it in the beginning. And yeah, a lot of companies, and you don't have to have legs, but it really is awesome if you do. So like we named this company Fire, she was a a publicist named Lynette Hoy, and her name said nothing about her being a publicist. She was really fiery redhead. So we named her, her firm Fire Talker PR, and her tagline was hot on the press. And she calls herself the fire chief. She calls her office the firehouse. Like you can see, she's had a lot of fun with it. She has a theme song, which is Fire by the Ohio Players. And uh, when you do my course, like I, she blasts it anytime she does a webinar. So like blast the song. I've had done webinars where the producer will put my theme song on, which is Sugar Sugar by the Archies. They'll put it on it, which is really fun. They'll put it on at the beginning while people are in the waiting room just to kind of get people in the mood. So it really helps if your name lends itself to a theme song, you know, that's something to think about. So I think that a lot of people are missing a huge opportunity to have a name with legs. One that I love is Jimmy Buffett, the singer songwriter. He's, you know, billionaire. He's lent his name to all kinds of licenses name. And he had, gosh, I just, I oh, know that was Tommy Bahama. I was in. I just bought something of his. Um, Tommy Bahama, by the way, is not a real person. And if you are going to make up, like if you're going to make up a name for your company, like it's a person, make it a name like Tommy Bahama, where like obviously that's not a real person or Johnny Rocket. Johnny Rockets is a name of a giant, like a 50s diner that we have, a chain of, but you don't want your name to be so real sounding if there isn't a real person behind it. And I have a lot of stories about that. I can tell you about people that have really regretted doing that. But I regress. Okay, Jimmy Buffett, he licensed his name to some 55 plus retirement communities in the States. You can live in these communities, but you have to be 55 or older. And they have some really nice communities, but none that are like tied to a singer songwriter who's iconic. He's all about the laid back lifestyle and uh, his fans are called Parrot Heads and his big hit is called Margaritaville. And he licensed his name to these communities called Latitude Margaritaville. I mean, who doesn't want to live in Latitude Margaritaville? Oh my God. It's like, even if you're not a fan of his music, it just sounds great. And here's what they've done with the legs. So the street names are like Tiki Terrace and where I want to live. I want to return address labels from Tiki Terrace. Okay, so write that down. I want email address, alexandriailovepeanutbutter.com. 
<laughs> cheeky tariffs. I have a cheeky bar here in my poolside retreat where I live. But this is our own little Margaritaville back here. But Flip Flop Court, they have their post office and mail center is called the Coconut Telegraph, which I love. And their dog park is called Barkeritaville. Amazing. Yeah, we used to the post office as well. When I remember being in a real like uh, northern town in Australia when we went traveling and there was there was just like a it said post office on it, but it was literally just four posts and then like a thatched <laughs> roof on top. And it's like, this is the post office. This is amazing. This is like this is proper chilled out, you know, like once a week the post turns up and then they deliver it and that's it. It's done, you know. Go I get back it. to the beach. Yeah. Yes. You must have been far from water. Yeah. When you were saying that, then it reminded me of that coconut pizza as well in the book you're talking about where they... Uh, oh, yeah. Coconut pizza. I'm looking out at our surfboard fence. But yeah, so that's right. I forgot. So you have read the second edition of my book. If that's, right. if you know coconut pizza, that is in the second edition, that story. Oh, cool. Okay, good. Yeah. So I have a surfboard fence in our backyard with 26 surfboards on it. And I bought some of them down around the corner. I live by the beach in San Diego and I bought some, the store called Coconut Pete and some beater boards that were really cheap. And I was talking to this guy that worked there and I'm like, are you Pete? And he's like, no, I'm Coconut Joel. And I'm like, where's Pete? And he's like, there is no Pete. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, the guy that started it, his name, I forget what his name is, but it wasn't, it was like Bill or something. And he said, people come in all the time and they're like, yeah, Pete told me that he'd give me a deal. And like, whenever somebody does that, he knows they're lying because there is no Pete. And I love that. But yeah, Coconut Pete, that's a great example of a fake name because yeah, I love Coconut Pete. I got to give those guys a book. <laughs> I say, well, yeah, it, did. it made me smile when you said that in the book about uh, the fact that they know they can tell if someone is yeah. lying, you know, that's yeah. clever. Definitely. Yeah, Pete said I could give it. Yeah, in the book, I say those are the same people that tell you they partied with Tommy Bahama. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So how do you approach extending the naming theme into products, ranges, or services? Well, I think you have to start with something that has a really wide theme. Like right now, we're doing themes for electric vehicles, and some are definitely more limiting than others. So I know in my course, I give a list of themes, but so like, you know, magic is a theme. So when you're developing your name, if you can think of themes to work with, you know, your theme is magic or your theme is art or your theme is, you know, food like we have, then you can, or fire like Lynette, fire talker, PR. If you have a theme like that, then you can really look at extending it where, so like with fire. So what I would say with that is, you know, you can just Google, you know, things related to fire or phrases related to fire words related to fire and you'll find lists of these things and or do a image search for fire and you'll get some ideas aviation is a really good theme to play around with or water oceans um the beach like with latitude margaritaville like that whole thing is just you know laid back lifestyle yeah we did there's a company in the uk called wavelength it's a leadership organization and I just named their podcast Making Waves. So there I'm playing off the name Wave in Wavelength. So, you know, that's if you have a word in your name that you can play around with, that's really good too. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, reaching out to you and our business name is Elements Brand Management. And I remember reaching out to you and you mentioned to me about the idea of how it reminded you of the periodic table and stuff like that. 
And since then, it's just got my mind reading about different things that could be used, you know, like alchemy and different things, you know, like oh, work, yeah. workshops could be alchemy and stuff like that, building blocks of brands, stuff like this, you know, really yeah, cool. Yeah, the chemistry of brands or, yeah, there is a lot you could do with that and visually as well, you know, just there's so much imagery around chemistry, yeah, elements. That is really good. That's I cool. forgot about that. <laughs> so what are some uh, top tips that you can give the listeners today to help them get inspiration, develop a sticky brand name? Okay, for inspiration, look at stock photography. So for instance, if you have whatever your product is, let's say it's something fast. If you go to a stock image library like, you know, Getty, and you type in the word fast or quick or speed, you're going to see pictures of things that are metaphors for speed. And if you think about running shoes like Puma, right, that's a fast animal. So animals are great examples of metaphors. So if you think of car companies, right, like Mustang, Stingray, always look to car companies as examples of great metaphorical names. Uh, models have great metaphorical names. SUVs like the ones like, you know, Sahara, Denali, Range Rover, you know, things like that. You're always going to find good names there. Then things like, yeah, Navigator, Expedition. So those are good places to look for names. Names of car models, names of perfumes and fragrances are always good for inspiration because you're going to see uh, names that are full of emotion like, you know, Desire, Eternity. I like that. Yeah, stock photos. And then for inspiration of names that are good, I look at our portfolio at Eat My Words. You'll find a lot of good ideas there and things that will make you smile. Um, but I would say the best thing to do is just try to be different. We named a cupcake store the Church of Cupcakes. So we put two things together that you wouldn't expect, but it works. Um, also try alliterative names where like Church of Cupcakes has the double C in it. So if you have a word that you really like and you want to pair it with another word, you can search for, you know, words that start with C or words that start with A and you will find lists of these words. They're in Scrabble dictionaries. So there's a lot of resources online if you just know where to look. Cool. Well, some of the name rebrands you've done are, are really good and really memorable. One of the ones I liked a lot was the Frozen Yogurt franchise, which was, was Zenyo, but you rebranded it as Spoon Me or yeah. the GPS for dogs, like we talked about earlier. Was it Gibi rebranded as Retriever? Yeah, Retriever, yeah. So how long does it take to come up with names as good as these? Well, we usually spend three weeks on a project, but I have been doing this for so long that I can come up with names usually over the phone. Whether they clear trademarking is another story, but... We spend usually three weeks on something. We have fewer time. We'll just put more people on it. Cool. Yeah, it's just similar to some of the sort of things we do with regards to the, the visuals and with the brands. Like, I'll talk to somebody on the phone and I've already got an idea in my head or a picture when I'm talking. And a lot of the times I'll try and move away from that, but it ends up coming back to the first thing I thought of. And generally that kind of initial ideas generally tend to be the best I find. Yeah, I think with Spoon Me, it definitely wasn't the first idea but what's interesting is, so in my book, as you know, I use Spoon Me as an example to show people how to brainstorm. But then for my online course, I used it as well, but I wanted to dive deeper in my online course and show people how to coin names, so invent names. So I started 
coming up with more frozen yogurt store names. And I came up with some that I really loved that I hadn't come up with when I actually had the real project or when I wrote my book, at which time that I did have to come up with more as well to show how to use some new tools that I had found since then. So it's amazing. The longer you look, the more names you're going to find. Cool. Yeah. So how do you approach taking that and then developing, say, a tagline to pair with the brand names you create? Um, a tagline, well, that's where it helps if your name has legs. So tagline, after we do the name and it you know, looks like it's going to clear a legal trademarking, then we'll come back to it and write a tagline. So you know, a tagline can help support a name. If you have a really good name like Spoon Me, you don't even need a tagline, right? And your tagline can change, which I like. But I think the key to a tagline is not using the same... Don't use your name in your tagline, but just have something that plays off of it. My favorite tagline ever is for cotton and it's cotton, the fabric of our lives. And like that makes such a strong emotional connection. So I think taglines are great for that. Definitely. I like the one you mentioned earlier from the Fire Talker PR as well. That was really Oh, cool. hot on the press. Yeah, I love that. Cool. So have you seen any companies uh, recently that you think uh, have nailed their brand name? Yeah. One name that I really love, um, this was a student of mine came up with us. He is a CrossFit guy and he invented a product to help people grip the rope when they're doing rope climbing. So either with their feet or their hands. And he named it Jack the Gripper. Cool. And, <laughs> and then and that cleared trademarking. And then the company is going to be called Gripline like Zipline, and then his domain, I think is going to be getgripline.com. Yeah. And I helped him with that. When you take my course, you do, a lot of people sign up for the option where you can get coaching with, and I helped him come up with those names. And it's really fun to work with students that are going through the course. Cool. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. It's really memorable. And yeah, it makes you smile, which is always good. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a great identity for it. I won't spoil the surprise, but the design, it's nothing you would expect for Jack the Gripper. It's something really unexpected and I love it. I absolutely love it. Cool. Yeah, I have to, um, yeah, I'll check that out when it comes out. Yeah. So yeah, it's been really good having you on. And um, yeah, I, I could talk all day with regards to brand names. It's really interesting and exciting. I, I like it. So thanks very much. And um, where can people find more about you, about uh, Eat My Words, your book and your course? At eatmywords.com. That's the best place. And yeah, you can, I have a mini masterclass that people can take. And yeah, you can find out about the book and the course and all that there. I recommend the mini masterclass. It's a lot of fun. And uh, you'll go through the smiling scratch test there. And there's a lot of great examples and lots of eye candy as well. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks again. It's been great. And uh, hopefully we can do it again at some point. 